You know, I definitely think that it could just be a self-protective, like, weird, confusing defense mechanism. Because at this point, I'm like, if everyone's cheating and everyone is thinking about cheating, if they're not actually cheating, I would rather just know up front. And for sure, this could just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. lovely people. Welcome to Sex and Spirituality. I am your host, Lauren Coletti. Thanks for joining me today. Shout out to all of my new beautiful listeners. We're getting there, everyone. I'm so excited. It's almost been a year since I've started this and I'm kind of debating if I want to continue or not, but for now, we will keep going. Um, I have so many thoughts going through my head, but I need to ground myself and take a deep breath because I'm feeling... Well, let's just check in. How are you feeling? Ask yourself this question. Because right now I'm feeling kind of like hyper, like a little chihuahua on steroids. Feeling kind of anxious. The weather outside is just really dreary. We're supposed to get a storm, Elsa, of course. Like, why the fuck do they always name natural disasters after women? Like, what kind of patriarchal, misogynistic bullshit is that? But my boo thing and I... We're supposed to go to the sex club tonight so feeling really stoked and like just don't know what to expect if we even get there because of this weather <laughs> and at the same time I'm trying to make this episode super quick because I'm making my boyfriend dinner I'm not a good cook by the way if anyone has any tips please holla at your girl but I have been thinking about it all day just like these thoughts and I'm just so confused if I'm being real And even though I am the sexual health professional over here, I have to be honest, I'm really battling right now with my sexuality. I don't know what's going on with me. I also will say that I just started birth control again. (laughs) My body hates me. My body's like, girl, please stop, like stop killing us. But it's like birth control or baby and at this point I'd rather be on birth control and destroy my hormones than have a child if I'm being frankly honest but my hormones hormones just control everything they're just so super important and underrated but my sex drive has just been ugh. and because of this like I go through these swings and I've been like asking myself am I asexual and the first thought that comes to mind is no because I am attracted to people, but in the last year, my relationship with sex has changed so much. I used to be in love with sex. Like I used to love sex so much. And then I think since my abortion last year and then getting sexually assaulted again last summer, like I'm just so confused. Um, And lately, you know, I've been listening to a lot of different perspectives and I heard today someone say polyamory is just the honest form of cheating, which made me think like, am I not monogamous? Like, I think I'm monogamous, but if I look back at my past relationships and granted, I've been in a lot of toxic, unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships. So perhaps that's why, but there always comes a time like after that year to two year mark where I stop being sexually attracted to my partner and just think of them more platonically. And then at the same time, I'm still like attracted to other people. So it's just really confusing. This is all really confusing. And 
part of it I question is if it's my natural reaction to self-sabotage because now for once I'm in an actually healthy, stable relationship. And we all know that if you come from an abusive background, normalcy seems uncomfortable and boring. So we'll see how today goes. I'm just going to try to like take all the pressure off and no expectations, but I was thinking like if it would turn me on if my boyfriend flirted with another girl and then my mind, I'm being just completely blunt here and I know Nick listens to the show, so there's that, but I was like, I feel like I wouldn't care if a girl sucked my boyfriend's penis. Like I would not care if another girl sucked my boyfriend's dick because I don't like sucking dick anymore. Like, I just don't enjoy it anymore. So, I don't know. I feel like, for me, everyone has a different version of cheating. And I would so much rather someone suck my boyfriend's dick than him have sex, full-on PV sex with someone else. Like, it's just really mind-blowing to me. Like, why doesn't that bother me? Is that abnormal that that doesn't bother me? I don't know. I just don't know. If anyone wants to weigh in on their opinion, please let me know because I just feel, in one word, just confused. I feel very confused. I'm like a big ball of emotion. Hashtag cancer. And my birthday isn't exactly one week, so there's that. Maybe I'm going through like a quarter-life crisis. Who knows? But anyway, let's talk about what we want to talk about today. So I was listening to a podcast. I literally just love podcasts, like making them, listening to them. I just, I always love learning all day, every day. And I was listening to the Dawn Sarah Sex Guts Real show, and they were talking about consent and how if someone consents to something, but they really were just scared to speak their truth and they meant no, but they just said yes, because they were a survivor of sexual interpersonal violence, like where do we stand on that? And I always got confused with the yes means yes thing because as someone that has been assaulted and raped, I have said yes when I wanted to say no because I was in fear of retaliation, just coercing, coerced. So I just wanted to let y'all know, especially my amazing men out there, that if a girl says no or she's not in the mood or just does not seem to want sex, that does not mean try to convince her into wanting sex. Mm-hmm. That's not consensual. That's manipulative. And that is just not cool. You don't want to be that dude. So no does not mean convince me. Okay? Just had to get that out of the way. And this leads me into today's topic on how trauma impacts communication and the impact of trauma. Because as someone that's in a relationship that has potential to be long-term as long as I don't fuck it up. Um, I've noticed like I have a lot of trouble asserting myself. I'm really scared to speak my truth and my communication might not always be super healthy or helpful. I can tend to be very passive aggressive and codependent in my ways, but you know, that's my avoidant love attachment or mental illness or maybe a combination of both. But Most people who (laughs) encounter trauma or addiction or mental illness at some point in their lives grew up in a home where there were unwritten rules like don't talk, don't feel, don't trust. And this family system, it all comes down to the family systems. Hate to tell you, we all try to avoid it like, oh, blame your mom and dad. Like, nah, that's such pop psychology. But it's so true. This 
The family system does not always provide adult role models who are able to openly discuss their feelings and needs or who know how to ask for them appropriately. We learn to either be puzzled by our feelings and not be in touch with them, or like me, distrust them if they were ever questioned by our caregivers or those close to us. And these early experiences shape the way we learn to communicate or fail rather to communicate in our adult relationships, as well as the likelihood of us getting our needs met in healthy ways because trauma strongly impacts future communication. Like me, grew up being consistently invalidated by my mom and told I'm too sensitive, I'm over-exaggerating, I'm dramatic. So especially after being verbally abused, it taught me to just always doubt and question myself. And mainly the four types of communication I wanted to discuss here was passive, passive aggressive, aggressive, and assertive. With passive communication, this is me, we are silent about our needs, often putting the needs of others first or before our own as we've been taught and learned our needs are not important or might not be met by others if they were to be expressed. This is often called people pleasing or pathological accommodation. For me example, I've had a lot of trauma around speaking my truth because sometimes when I would feel strong enough to say no, hence sexual assault history, it has been ignored. So thereby I consistently learned after having that pattern ingrained into my brain that my voice does not count. Passive aggressive communication, I still do this sometimes too, makes a statement about a need, but it's often done in a sideways, sarcastic, snarky, or joking way. If the other person does not respond in the way we would have liked, the need can be played off as not serious to prevent having being been vulnerable, right? It's all about self-protection. With aggressive communication, needs are expressed in harsh or threatening ways while disregarding the needs of others. And finally, finally, assertive communication, which is the goal, is when needs are expressed in clear and direct ways that are considerable of both parties. So the goal is learning to effectively express ourselves. That's what we're striving for. And in early recovery, the questions, how do you feel and what do you need? My boyfriend asks me this all the time. They're so daunting and overwhelming, yet crucial to understanding ourselves and to support our growth and our healing. In order to have healthy and rewarding relationships, feelings and needs must be communicated regularly to prevent resentment, disappointment, and rifts in the attachment, or rifts, however the fuck you (laughs) pronounce that word. I wrote it down, like I always take notes before I podcast, and sometimes I don't even know how to pronounce the word, so there's that. So just know we cannot expect others to read our minds or act the way that we might in certain situations, right? We're all different, we're all individual and unique, and we're all bringing different things to the table. We are not mind readers. And yet, these are tools that we have to learn and practice, 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 as they were not instilled in us early on in life, I am assuming, if you are listening to me. And the the consequences of unhealthy communication, um, there's what I'm going to refer to the John Gottman uh psychologist, expert, relationship person, the four types of communication in couples that often show up with a high degree of accuracy to get divorced. Uh, And this is criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So criticism is a verbal attack on someone's character or personality. And instead, 
we are called to use I feel emotion when you action statements to distinguish between the person and their actions. Contempt is the intended insult or abuse directed towards the other sense of self. Alternatively, if we can build a culture of appreciation about the strengths in the other person, we can practice gratitude for the things that they do well, right? The next one is defensiveness, a protection against a perceived attack by victimizing oneself or displacing blame. The replacement action for this is to take responsibility by accepting the other perspective and apologize for any wrongdoing. So much easier said than done. And the last one, my mom's favorite, is stonewalling. This is avoidance of conflict by cutting off communication altogether, which conveys separation and disapproval. And here we can practice self-soothing behaviors as in taking a break and asking to return to the conversation at a later time when you are feeling calm and open. So this is the four main types of unhealthy communication that John and Julie Gottman uh, identified uh, that couples will get divorced if they see these popping up time and time again. So interesting. Lastly, I have to wrap up here because Mama Dukes just walked in the door. In order to learn and grow in relationship and in recovery, um, while learning healthy communication, actually implementing it, right? Knowing it and doing it are two completely separate things. It can sound overwhelming and we can approach it like we do with our recovery and our mental health healing one day at a time. Being human means we will always make mistakes. We can learn and grow from these in relationships and even grow closer through that process, right? Sometimes I take five steps forward and 10 steps back. Practice makes, I don't want to say perfect, but it makes us better, right? Don't place this perfectionistic expectation on yourself that one day it will just click. We have to do this and stick to it and commit to it and have empathy and compassion for ourselves. And while it might be anxiety producing to consider being open and vulnerable, right? Taking this risk with healthy people, supportive people, compassionate people who can reciprocate will allow us to build lasting, fulfilling, and ultimately, hopefully, fingers crossed, rewarding relationships.